So then it's like, how do you learn then that you actually can't reject people? You just sometimes timing isn't there. And sometimes mm. the timing and, pre- and preference isn't there. And so what it would mean is that in a moment where you recognize that you need to follow your boundaries and that, you know, the timing isn't right, you would say to someone, no or no, not right now. And that would feel like rejection to you because you perceive the world through the eyes of rejection. And mm-hmm. But by doing that, what you're doing is saying, I'm not rejecting you and you're not rejecting me. It just is what it is. Welcome to the Feeling Free Podcast. My name is Ben Harris, also known as the Fear Guy. My job is to help you feel more free in your life with the love and relationships, self-worth, and much more. I'm happy you're here. I love you. I believe in you. Let's break free from fear together. Hello, beautiful beings. Today we have my friend Adrian Ellison, a fellow coach for self-love and relationships, and we have a retreat coming up together, but honestly, one of my favorite humans. And if you want to learn how to heal your different wounds, this is the podcast for you because we go deep into it. Let's go. Yeah. Everyone, welcome to the Feeling Free Podcast. We have my wonderful friend, Adrian, and this is cool because we haven't filmed an in-person interview for this podcast yet. Ever. So this is, yeah, we haven't for this podcast, which is dope. Um, So today we're going to talk about the different types of wounding, which I'm excited for. Um, I mean, we all have experience with that. We all have a type of wounding. So um, will you explain what you just explain like when people hear wounding just like what does that even mean yeah so like the topic of like trauma healing is super hot right now yes very hot yeah and (laughs) that's pretty much what my entire platform the alpha's project is about is people coming together in community type spaces whether that's through workshops retreats uh, masterminds or one-on-one coaching to better their quality of life and their human experience here on earth through understanding their trauma, uh, where it came from, how it showed up, whether that's through their own unique experiences as a child or epigenetics or, you know, just belief systems that were passed down from religion, families, education, environment, society, and then being able to transmute all of the things that they're learning about themselves into their mission in life, uh, understanding their purpose, how they want to serve other people and ultimately create an abundant lifestyle with it. And so when it comes to trying to understand trauma, it's very, very complex. And you can see how it's like skyrocketed on social media, Instagram. You obviously interviewed the holistic psychologist. Mm -hmm. And that gives you an understanding of just how much work we have to do. But specifically, one of the books that I read a year ago that really helped identify it more on like a simplistic level and and how do we just like break it down to something that's really palatable for people is a book called heal your wounds and find your true self by lisa borbo and she's pretty famous in the world of metaphysical writing and reading and uh, philosophy and that book outlines that there are really five basic core wounds that most trauma can kind of fall under so meaning that before the age of five is typically when the characteristics of your personality start to develop Mm -hmm. and that's based on how you perceive the world through you know your one lens and then the lens of your parents and then over time you have a lot of contrast that eventually starts to move where you're able to identify a lot of different things in the world from different perspectives and points of views and this book helps us to understand 
what are the experiences that happened to us from the ages of one to five? And what is the wound that was created? Or maybe, you know, in the book, it talks about maybe we came here with that wound and then how to address those wounds and heal them. And so those five core wounds are rejection, abandonment, humiliation, betrayal, and injustice. Repeat those slower. Rejection. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Abandonment, humiliation, betrayal, and injustice. Okay, cool. Because yeah, I want to dive into each of those. But to anyone, most likely people who who are listening to this, they already know that they have, they're interested in healing, right? But if someone who has thought like, no, I don't have any trauma, is that possible for anyone in this world to not have trauma? I doubt it. I mean, I'm definitely not going to say like, I know for sure. Cause I, I don't, um, it would be weird. I feel like if you didn't have any trauma, your mission here on earth would be something very different than the rest of humanity. Um, to live in a world of duality and experience, no duality actually doesn't make any sense based literally on science. So <laughs> that feels like it doesn't make sense to me. Now there's definitely like a whole, a whole demographic of people who are very unaware of their trauma yes. for sure. Or, and you can, if you don't like the word trauma, like vocabulary is very important. Like one word can hold a lot of different mm. meanings for people. If the word trauma to you is like, uh, like locked in a basement, beaten brutally for 10 years. Like maybe that's not your vocabulary. Maybe it's just, I've had experiences that shaped the way that I see the world. Yeah. And that's ultimately what trauma is. It's just a varying, varying degrees of trauma. And there's many varying degrees of it. Mm. So like, what would be like another just word for trauma? Cause I actually heard some people say that another word for trauma. I mean, there, I guess there's so many different things like it, it just experiences, perceptions. Like, mm. I mean, tra- trauma itself is like an experience, like a, a moment that happened to you that completely shaped or shifted or cultivated the way that you see something. Right. Yes. So like trauma is like, like how you perceive something happening to you. So there's, I actually don't know of another like translatable word. Um, and I don't know what those words are in other languages, but I'd be like really interested to find that. Yeah. Out. Just because you're right. Right. There's like the big T trauma, the little T trauma. And as, everything in between. Yeah. Right. As far as just like when you think trauma, it's like, oh my God, like, you know, the most. So yeah. Like what's that? What's the misconception of trauma? Maybe like that. Cause if we look at trauma, we think it's like only like those big kind of things, like you said, you know, like physical things. So like for your experience, what is, what are those ranges like from your life? What are those ranges of trauma so people can like relate to that? Yeah. I think like a great example is how much we're finding out about post-traumatic stress disorder. So Mm -hmm. PTSD and you've got like, you think about PTSD, right? You have like forever ago, first of all, men in the Western society are raised to suppress their emotions, to not express what they're feeling and just to hold it down and be a man. And you look at like veterans who have experienced actual trauma in the sense of like, you know, maybe they were shot. Like that's absolute trauma, right? Mm -hmm. Something significant enough happened to not only their physical body, but to their emotions and the mental, whatever was happening in that moment. And their brain is literally firing rapidly and releasing hormones to let them know, like you are in danger. You need to get out of this. You need to save yourself. You need to survive. And so there's different levels of trauma where it's like survival. And then there's, you know, it goes, I hate to say down from there because it's yeah. not really like 
it, there's varying degrees and, and depending on your perception and depending on how many layers of other traumatic experiences you've had, it's so unique and it's, it's, it's definitely a spectrum. And I just think that's the way that it should be spoken about is it's a spectrum and you're allowed to fall wherever you fall on it and identify wherever you identify for long enough to take a look at it and then to no longer need to identify with it is, is kind of the goal for my experiences and, and my clients. Mm. And so, yeah, I think like you could have an experience where you walk out of your house and all of a sudden you see somebody almost get hit by a car, you know, maybe backing up. And in that moment, you're like, oh my God, that person almost died. Like, and forever I will carry this experience unconsciously where when I see a car or I hear a screech, like immediately my nervous system mm. fires and is like reminding me, remember that one time that somebody almost died, like this could very well happen to you. Um, and so it could be something simple like that where, you know, it can also be like an epigenetic thing where say that you're, uh, you know, your great, great grandmother was a Holocaust survivor and you have that running through your DNA. Like you have information stored in your genes to let you know the types of experiences that might happen so that you can survive them and so that you can thrive. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's also the degrees of like, you know, like I mentioned earlier, somebody being locked in a basement for 10 years of their life. Like I would definitely consider that capital T trauma you would need significant amount of therapy yeah. to work through that and to live like what would be considered a normal life. Um, but there's also people who have not been through capital T trauma who have a really hard time living a normal human life. Like they have social anxiety, they have massive depression, they have, and there's, and we're just now learning about this stuff. Like, you know, psychology, it's just basic clinical psychology and basic psychology that we learn through PhDs and, and the degrees. I mean, it's very limited. And so we're just now exploring like what, what are the depths and what are the varying degrees of that? Um, and I've been exploring this a lot around sexual trauma lately without my own journey and also with my clients and some of the people that I've been treating, um, and with, with a partnership of mine. And it looks like you can have anybody who has just been through like a sexual experience where maybe they gave another person consent, but they're, they weren't really in consent with their own body. Like their mm. own body was like, I don't really want to do this. And they're like, we're going to do it anyways because we need sexual validation and we want to feel loved. And it's like that alone could cause trauma, right? To the, to the actual physical body. And then there's other trauma where it's like you were pinned down and raped by someone. Wow. And that's really significant trauma to both the body and the energetic system. Yeah. So the spectrum goes left, right, up, down, round and round, diagonal, all directions. Yeah. It's the wonk evader. Yeah, definitely. Not to make light, but yeah. Um, yeah, that's, it's intense, right? And like when you talk about all those things, like healing, like where do, where do we start? Well, we were talking about this kind of earlier with like um, this idea of like just creating awareness for how you are. I mean, cause a lot of times I hear people that are like, I just can't be in a relationship. I just need to be single to like yeah. work on myself. And if that's really what you feel called to do, like you should absolutely do that. And then there's other times where I feel like I don't, you know, I'm in a state where I'm, I'm single and I'm not like doing that significant of work because I don't have a mirror around. And so I'm like, man, I'm crushing it. Like I'm doing so good. <laughs> I don't have somebody in my face. That's like showing me these ways that I'm showing up and projecting myself. And, and so I think like awareness is obviously the first step. There's so many crazy resources out there for awareness. Now there's a lot of really beautiful books. Um, the five core wounds book is great. My mastermind right now is reading a book called it didn't start with you. And that's a book by Mark Wallum. Um, I know that I know that the um, Rising Woman, the, that brand yeah. also highly suggests that book, which is where I got the book recommendation from. Cool. And it's amazing. It just talks about epigenetics and how our belief systems and information is just passed down from generation to generation and how you're storing information in your body that, you know, you don't maybe resonate with, but you very much are reacting based off of. 
Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, and you just want to know, like, so so my the way that my mastermind works in the beginning is, like, really identifying your own childhood wound. What do you identify with? And a lot of that isn't going to be you being like, oh, I know I have rejection. It's mm. actually going to be like, this is how I show up in my relationships over and over again. And when I show up in this way, it tends to lead to conflict. Or when I'm showing up this way, what I know that I'm looking for is to feel loved. And yet I don't feel loved no matter how many times <laughs> I show up that way. Okay, cool. That's a pattern. And it's a pattern of like discomfort. And so we want to look at that and look at how are you like, what are your defense mechanisms like, or what the book would call masks. And so for me, when I was reading the book, I deeply identified with the betrayal wound and the mask of the controller. And definitely you can be a controller with any wound that you have, but this one specifically is like the mask of, um, somebody who thinks that everybody's out to get them. And so they have to control and manipulate everything to make sure that like they don't get screwed over. And in the process, most of the time you end up screwing other people over because you mm. project so hard onto them that, you know, that your fear of betrayal, that they end up just kind of like leaving and going and doing something else. And then because you have the lens and, and the mask of a, of betrayal, you then perceive that they betrayed you. Oh, wow. And this is kind of what we were talking about earlier with, with the whole letters thing. And one of the suggestions that I always have for people is like, when you're in a state of trying to heal and you're kind of lost in the sauce, I use this, this word a lot. And lost in the sauce is like, I've literally said this so many times on podcasts is this idea that you're experiencing so many different things and trying to understand yourself. And you literally have no idea why things are happening, how you're showing up or like where it's stemming from. And so you're just like, ah, like I know I'm projecting all over my partner and I know mm. that like I'm, I'm not showing up in the best ways, but the truth is I don't know why. And I just keep doing it and then I'm beating up myself. And yeah. so now I've got judgment coming in and shame and all these things. That's what it feels like to be lost in the sauce. And one of the ways that I like to just kind of clean that process is typically these things happen because conflict shows up. Um, if you were just like, you know, chilling out, everything was good you, you wouldn't be lost in the sauce. And so a lot of times it has to do with like relationships, whether that be with your family members, with a coworker, a business partner, or typically a lover. And what ends up happening is you go through this conflict, you start seeing the way that you show up, you're projecting on them. They're probably projecting on you. And then based off of that, going back and forth, it's like passing a hot potato. And what you want to get is really clear on what is it that you really want that you're mm -hmm. trying to experience. And that comes down to your inner child. Like, what is your inner child wanting to experience? So like in the relationship, that's when you're lost in the sauce is the first question to ask. It's not even just with relationships. I mean, in relationships in general, or what I mean is it's not just lovers. It can yeah. be like your boss, your business partner, right. your sibling, like down to the core. What is, what is the, the, the wound that you have mm. as your inner child that you've never really addressed that keeps projecting itself and trying to reconcile itself through all of your adult relationships. And that's, Boom. once you figure that out, you can untangle all the things you can start to figure out. Oh, like this is how I show up in my relationships, my work, my everything. Um, this is how I self-sabotage. This is why these are the first early memories that I have around this. Um, I traced it back and these memories were heavily validated by my parents, which means that they also had these beliefs. So now I'm looking at my parents' beliefs. Now I'm looking more towards epigenetics. Now I'm looking at like, you know, what are those beliefs that are unserving to me? And now I'm looking at how do I want to create boundaries to support the way that I wish that I was showing up and boundaries mm. to support how I would like to see my life. And that's a really beautiful process of how you take like trauma healing or, you know, whatever you, whatever words you'd like to replace that with and just bringing awareness into this beautiful dance for you to start living in a, like a higher quality of life, a higher state of like in your human experience. Mm. That's so how does one, address you know which one of the five they are i would read the book first so read the book read the book 
Read join your maps. mastermind. <laughs> join my mastermind. Yeah. And then, <laughs> so what's like, let's go through these. So what was number one? Or rejection. Like the first one to cover. So like, what does rejection look like? How does someone know they are, I don't want to say suffering, maybe suffering. I mean, it could be suffering, honestly, yeah. from a rejection. When, like, what does that look like? What are they doing? So if someone's listening and they don't know, what does that look like? I, I'm going to use the example that you and I were talking about earlier cool. because I feel like this is you're going to get the most bang for your buck out of this one. Let's do it. Let's say that you're in a relationship right now and you are lost in the sauce and you're like, <laughs> I know I got some wounding. I got some shit going on. I don't know where it's coming from, why it's happening, but honestly, it's starting to make my relationship fail. And so I know that I need to kind of do my own work, but I'm so lost in the sauce that I'm having a hard time differentiating my work from my partner's work and from our work. And so the first thing that I like to do is kind of like separate myself a little bit, like create a boundary, a physical boundary, because obviously we really lack energetic and which is space, space, just physical space. Um, and what happens with space is people's wounding really comes out on both sides. And so one of the Mm. things I like to do when I'm needing space is I take space from whoever is the mirror that's really helped, like, like that I'm really lost in the sauce with. And again, like most of the time when you're lost in it, it typically has to do with other people too. Mm -hmm. But I I would take separate space or physical space from someone or from people. And in that amount of time, I would start to feel the feelings of like, am I important anymore? You know, does this person miss me? Am I all alone? Will I ever be loved again? And I'll start to kind of write those things down and journal on them. And also what I'll do is because I'm feeling those feelings, I'll typically write letters to like, say I'm in a relationship and I separate myself in that amount of time. I'm going to start feeling very insecure because I don't have that external validation that I'm constantly seeking and that I rely on anymore. Mm. And when you separate yourself from external validation, you really get to see yourself and your, and your, the wounds that are coming out. And so what I would do is I would write a letter every single day for like maybe seven days. And every day my emotional roller coaster is gonna take me up here and down here and one day I'm gonna be angry. I'm gonna experience all the things, grief, anger, Mm -hmm. um, resentment. And every day, depending on where I'm at, I would just write an uncensored letter to the world, to my parents, to my lover. And it doesn't matter who you're writing it to because you're really writing it to yourself. (laughs) And every day I would write a letter and one day it's going to be, you know, anger. One day you're going to be like, and I just, you know, I think everything's going to be okay. And I'm very (laughs) calm today. And then the next day, all of a sudden you're hit with another emotion and you take yourself through those seven days of writing a letter to whoever. And what you'll find is a common undercurrent that no matter how crazy your emotions got all over the place, there's really one message in there. And most of the time the message is, I don't feel seen, I don't feel heard, I don't feel validated, I don't feel things are reciprocated. And this is rejection? This is any wound. Anything, okay. But what I but the way that you can identify like your wounding and how it shows up is when you take this space and you're writing these letters, your verbiage is going to have a lot to do like the undercurrent Mm. of your verbiage. You know, if you're saying, maybe you're not using the word rejection, but you're saying like, I just feel like you don't want me around. I feel like if I never were to call, nobody would ever call me or, you know, whatever that feeling is. And in that amount of space, um, both on both sides, but let's just say that you're the one writing the letter. You're going to get to see how that space creates stories. And those stories for somebody has rejection is going to be, wow, like the, this, you know, I'm not, I don't even matter anyways. Like I, you know, so I might as well just leave. I, I don't even need to be there. They obviously don't even notice I'm gone kind of verbiage. Whereas if you have somebody with an abandonment wound, 
that person um, is probably, you know, going to have a really hard time taking that separation without just feeling like I've been left and that person's not coming back for me or the world is not coming back for me as well. Um, and then if you have a betrayal wound, that those stories get real saucy. Uh, mm-hmm. You start to believe that everybody is turning on you. Like it's like intentional. They're like, uh-huh. I'm like, you're taking space from people yet. You somehow are like, wow, this, like, everybody doesn't care about me. And they're like intentionally mm. not talking to me to punish me. And it, it's like that kind of undercurrent, um, for humiliation, you know, it's, it's, it's a really difficult wound to one even identify within yourself because to, uh, to admit that you're humiliated is humiliation in itself. So it's a very, very, it's a, a very unique wound and hard sometimes. But, um, with that one, you have like kind of the mask of the masochist, like somebody who's like, well, I'm like, you know, I'm a sloppy pig anyways, or like, I'm, you know, I'm a fucking idiot anyways. And, mm. and so you kind of like dismiss and make jokes about yourself and, and really degrade yourself. And then with injustice, it's like all about, you know, what is fair. And so if, you know, if you're, if you're the one writing the letters or you're the person that has somebody took space from, you know, you're going to have that air of like, it's just not fair. And so when you're writing letters, you're going to have verbiage come up. That's like, you know, it's not fair when I do this and, and it's not reciprocated. It's not fair when, um, you know, I show up this way and and nobody notices or, or whatever that verbiage looks like. And so you can see a lot just through your verbiage and through how you create stories in your mind about what the world on the other side of those letters is doing or not doing. And then again, you have that undercurrent, which at the end of the week is typically like, I really just wanted to feel loved, seen, heard, validated, accepted. Hmm. And I didn't feel that. And the reason I didn't feel that is because I have stories around this and this is my belief. And the stories usually will come from childhood. Definitely. Right. From age zero to five, zero to seven. The stories are usually very unconscious, very unconscious. So I love those examples of the five that you gave. What does, are you able to give like an experience that like triggers those wounds mm-hmm. from the top of your head from, for all five? Definitely. I love it. Um, the other thing is like a lot of times people's woundings, when they project them on you, they will actually cause that wound to flare up inside of you. It's like, it's like a mating call. It's like <laughs> For wounds. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Um, so like examples that I have is, I don't have, I don't have like a ton of rejection wounds. Um, I have like maybe, you know, we all have kind of all of them, but like there's some that are much heavier than others. But I will say that when I am usually in a partnership with somebody with a rejection wound, what will happen is they kind of just take themselves out of the game before there's even a game. It's almost like, you know, they, they automatically assume that I'm rejecting them before I even have a chance to know what's going on. And so they'll, they'll kind of just reject themselves, which makes me feel very rejected. Yeah. Right. So what does that look? So that could look like, that looks like somebody, um, that like really wants physical affection, Uh but they reject themselves. And so they won't give any physical affection because they automatically assume that you don't want to give them Uh physical affection. And so then you don't get any physical affection. And then when you go to give them physical affection, they kind of reject you because they're unsure. It's just like, they can't help but to be like, uh, reject, reject, reject. Right. So they're projecting Mm. rejection on you and they're also perceiving rejection from you. And so then you might have, you know, if you have two people who have that wound, it's like, it's not going anywhere. Reject city. So how mm-hmm. did, where does that stem from? Like as a kid, like how yeah, do, how do we get the feeling that like, you know, your mom or dad, um, doesn't want you. And so, I mean, you can even have a rejection wound from, from being in, in the belly. Like, like say you have a, a mom that's giving her child up for adoption. Like mm. I was adopted. And so I definitely have abandonment stuff, but say that you, you know, your mom was like 
you know, married or not married and she got, you know, teen pregnancy and yeah. she's like, I really don't want this baby. And it's like nothing against the baby. It's just like, she's in a shitty situation. That's she's just being a human. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want a baby right now either. Mm-hmm. So if I was to get pregnant, there would still be that. It's not like it just changes on a dime. I don't yeah. just all of a sudden like, Oh, you know what? Never mind. I do want a baby. It's like, well, there's a part of me that doesn't want this baby mm. and it, it grows and it changes and it shifts and you know, the miracles and all that stuff. But you, the truth is your truth. And no matter how much you want to deny your truth, like that's what's going on in your cells and in your DNA and in your energy body is like, it's experiencing and expressing whatever that is that you're feeling. And so from that time, like that baby that's sitting inside of your belly, it's experiencing the rejection. Like it knows that you don't want it there. Mm. All the messages that your body is sending is like, I don't want this. And it's communicating. And then that's what, that's what's received. You know, it could be something else as far as like, um, I have a a really good friend who has like a really unique people pleasing wound. And it's almost like, it's like the opposite of rejection, but, but her twin sister has rejection Hmm. and she has this really cool memory. It's not cool, but it's like, it's cool that she has this memory Mm because it's from so early on where her and her twin sister were in the crib and her mom, they were both crying. Her mom came in and picked her Uh, up first, which totally makes sense, which, then, you know, in that moment, maybe her twin was like, I'm rejected. Like nobody wants me, but she ended up perceiving that when her needs are met, another person's are not. And so then she created a people pleasing wound, which, which could be like an injustice wound kind of, right. It's like, it's not fair. Like life's not fair. Like if I get something and somebody else doesn't, it's not fair. If somebody gets something and I don't, it's not fair. Hmm. And so there you have injustice and rejection (laughs) created in the crib. Created in the crib. Like, man, I actually really like that example because that's just proof is like there's no avoiding it Mm-mm. you know it's like we're gonna make choices we're gonna have perceptions yeah you're gonna have perceptions and so like and both children got <laughs> like trauma from that right and from like a seemingly harmless like i have i gotta pick up one kid which one am i gonna pick up first mm-hmm. definitely yeah. and i mean and two it's like we don't really understand how far this extends right but we'd know that as we continue to heal, we heal things for our family lines and information getting passed. And, and some of the information from our ancestors is really shady. It's like really dark and it has a lot of, and has a lot of healing left to do. It's a lot of suppression. And we're looking at like the racism that's, that's going on in the world that we weren't even aware of. Like some of us were not even really aware of it, you know, because we're so separate and distant from it. And then you have other people who literally live in it every day and they're literally experiencing like, like the his, like history that has not yeah. been healed, just like repeating and perpetuating over and over again. And then you have the, these moments where it doesn't, you can't win. It doesn't matter what you do. Like if you have, if you have two twin children, one of them is going to feel left out at some point. It's mm. inevitable. And how they take that and perceive the entire world through it. This is one of the reasons why I truly believe that raising children in more of like tribal settings is really important because when you have, you know, this whole like situation going on where it's like stranger danger, but like, you know, you're bringing your kids to your sketchy families that have like all sorts of weird energy and like your uncle's creepy and it's Mm -hmm. like teaching your kids, like it's okay to be with your creepy uncle, but like, don't even look at that stranger. And the idea is like, I know that people have that because they're trying to keep their children safe, but what is really more important is to like teach children how to read energy and have that experience of like having more than one lens. And so what, what I have found and what I've experienced personally, so I, I I don't know if there's like research on this, but just my own experiences with my clients, myself and my mastermind is when you have children and they're very like guarded, like cults or like, you know, really intense churches. It's like, 
your children grow up with their own lens and then they start to adopt your mom's lens. They start to adopt dad's lens and then they start to adopt the lens of the church. Mm -hmm. They have four lenses to see the entire world of billions of people in. And that's very limited viewpoints Mm. of the world, right? Whereas when you have like, this is why I love community, why my whole business is on community. It's because every single person that I meet offers me, if I'm open, a new lens to see the world. And over time, eventually, if I meet thousands of people, I Mm. now carry thousands of ways to perceive the world. That's cool. And I no longer identify so deeply with one because if you have a thousand different shirts to wear, why would you wear the same one every day, right? Mm. You would versify and like wear different things and try on different things and Maybe you wear an outfit and you're like, I don't know, I didn't like that. It's not comfy or it's not whatever. But you start to really like create texture in your life and contrast in your life. And when we're young, we don't have a lot of contrast. We have like mom and dad and, you know, them keeping us tight. And we have our family members, which ultimately comes from all the same epigenetics and the same fucked up family lines. And, you know, you're keeping people in in those um, like circuits with each other. And then they go out into the world and then the contrast is very confusing and they're like, you know, over time you get to where you're like, wow, my parents, like, so that's why some people don't know they have trauma is because they're like, how could I know it was trauma when it was literally the only lens I had? Yeah. It's like, I, you know, you, you talk to people all the time that are in cults and you're like, how the fuck did you not know you yeah. were in a cult? That that's shit is lens. weird. It's like, I didn't know what a, I didn't know what a cult was. I'd never yeah. not been in a cult, you know? Yeah. It's like, what is the analogy of like a fish swimming in water? Mm-hmm. Like they don't know that they're in water. They're in water. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, because it's all around them, and that's all they know. Mm-hmm, totally. Dang, your book, your book coming soon, a, a book or a world of a thousand lenses. Yeah. By Adrian Allison. Yeah, my first book was <laughs> gonna be like making millions in yoga pants or something, but that one might come first. Maybe that's how I make my millions in yoga pants. <laughs> the make you're in yoga pants right now. Always. I love it. Um, okay, so rejection. Rejection. Um, what does abandonment look like? abandonment um and I, I like this is where the i have some issues with the book is that vocabulary literally limits our understanding of things mm. and so the mask of abandonment shows up as codependency which i genuinely believe everybody has codependency but with this one specifically it's more of like it's like this unconscious way of constantly making sure that there are things that you do for your partner and that they do for you so that way that you're like always together because you you fill each other's gaps kind of thing and so with abandonment it's like you'll see people you know always having expectations of another person to do stuff and always feeling expected to do certain things and always doing those things for your partner um and that can show up like i have you know i have this a client and i've actually talked about this a couple times that she has people pleasing stuff and abandonment stuff and she's the middle child and um she's like you know how do i how do i figure out like this stuff and like how I'm showing up and and I'm like well stop doing things for your partner just literally for a week if you want to see how your wounding shows up and how you're validated stop doing anything for anybody and literally just see (laughs) how unvalidated you feel by the world and so for her you know she had this scenario pop up where she's making she always makes him sandwiches and feeds him and so she just doesn't make him a sandwich one day and he doesn't even notice he doesn't even notice that she doesn't make him a sandwich and for her she's like wow Oh my God, I've been making you say, and she's like angry one. Cause she didn't receive the validation that yeah. she wanted, which he wasn't even really validating. It was like, she was making those sandwiches for herself Yeah, and she was looking for validation with them. <laughs> and <laughs> so that's, that's a funny example. Um, the other thing is like just feeling abandoned all the time. Um, I recently went and visited a friend who during quarantine, she kind of met her lover and mm-hmm. I have a lot of friends actually that fell in love during quarantine, which is so dope. Like what it. a great story. 
and then I went, she was, so she was alone with this person for a while and, you know, for like over a month and they were having fun. They were falling in love and everything was great. She was like, y'all come see us. It's going to be so much fun. Mm. And then the day we got in her abandonment stuff went crazy because now all of a sudden her perfect little quarantine bubble with just the two of them was burst. And now it was bringing in new dynamics, which means new mirrors for her to remember her wounding. And she no hmm. longer was in this perfect illusion of a bubble, which was like, it's just us forever, which isn't true. And she's not that she believed that it's just like when you're in those bubbles, you're in those bubbles. And now all of a sudden the outside world comes and pops the bubble. And now here I am as an example, you know, mirror, mirror, mirror. And it's like, I just feel like he's going to leave. It's all over. The, the perfect happy bubbles all over he's gonna leave like my dad no left re- and for no reason no one said anything no it's yeah. it has, and that's the thing like nobody needs to say anything for your shit to come up <laughs> like the matter of fact the less people say the more your shit will come up for hmm. sure and if you want an example of this watch when somebody like deeply projects on you like somebody who you know maybe your aunt or somebody who just like has just passive aggressive and or like says snarky things and you'll watch everybody in the room unconsciously move that energy like people are energy workers and they don't even know it somebody says something that's kind of harsh you're gonna have the person in the room that's gonna be like on defense that's gonna be like whoa and then the other person that's like now you guys y'all don't you know everybody (laughs) chill out and then another person that's like who wants some music and it's like your whole family in this family dynamics like everybody knows even though they don't know that they're just moving energy around Mm. if you want to watch somebody like really experience themselves when they project or when they do that thing instead of having you know a room full of people that like bounce that energy around just be silent and just hold the space and what will happen is that person will say what they say whatever it is if it's nasty if it's rude if it's condescending if it's you know whatever that projection is and since nobody's there to move the energy to observe it it literally just comes back around and they get to experience themselves maybe for the first time ever, fully experience themselves. Hmm. And you think of it this way. If you and I are in a relationship and I'm saying, you're so fucking selfish and you're like, I'm selfish, you're selfish. But if you, you know, we go back and forth and we pass the hot potato (laughs) and we are, what we're doing is we're absorbing the potency of what we're saying. And that's how you can have people escalate in a fight where you're saying, you know, the worst things imaginable and other people on the outside are like, oh my God, this is the most toxic thing I've ever heard. Whereas if I come to you and I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with you? And you just look at me. And then all of a sudden I hear the Mm. reverb of my own voice and the tone and the nastiness and, you know, saying that to you. And all of a sudden I realized that was really unwarranted. Like there was absolutely no reason for me to yell that at you, but I would not have known that if you had absorbed it and let it perpetuate. And so now Mm. I'm sitting there and I'm like, my voice was really loud why am I shaking and you're standing there normal? Like you didn't even have any context for what I was about to do. And of course that's a more of like a conscious process of that. Um, but that's been one of the most like helpful things for me, somebody with a betrayal wound and how that shows up is I'm constantly projecting that people are like out to get me. And sometimes I like attack people, you know, like in my past I would attack people with assumption that they're like, they're trying to betray me. Mm. And you know, I've had partners in my life that would just be like, do you want to talk about that? And I'm just sitting there in my own anger and because they didn't absorb it, I'm like, oh my God, like I got to explode, right? Hmm. Like, you know, that chi just like sitting there and vibrating. It's, it's crazy. And that is crazy. So with betrayal, um, I think that one, like for me, I can just assume someone yeah. betrayed you or like, what is that? Like, what does that look like yeah, as a child? My stuff is a little confusing because I was adopted. Mm-hmm. And so 
a lot of the like childhood trauma stuff that I've done, I have found memories. Like, I have a very clear memory with my dad when I was like two or three, um, in the bathtub where I actually lied about something and my sister got punished for it, mm. which was like a whole 180 of betrayal. It was like, I betrayed my sister. My dad betrayed both of us by punishing my sister. And it was just like this whole situation. Um, but I also feel like, you know, maybe there's some betrayal stuff when it comes to my biological father, because, um, you know, I know that there was like cheating and things involved mm. and dishonesty involved on his end. And from everyone that I know that knew him have those opinions of him and I've never met him, so I can't speak on that. But, um, you know, maybe there was an experience where I was in my mother's belly. I knew she was giving me up for adoption. I was feeling feelings of abandonment from her and I was feeling feelings of the betrayal that she was feeling from him. I don't know. And I don't know if mm. I'll ever know. Um, but just being open to that and understanding like how these dynamics play out and how they also create our own experiences and how we perceive things. Um, for me, it's the most common, like I have abandonment wounds too, but my betrayal wound was so significant and so much louder that it covered and it masked my abandonment wound for most of my life. And then once I healed that, now my abandonment wound is the most prevalent hmm. wound that shows up. And I'm super interested to see if once I'm you know, really, I really feel like I've healed so much of my betrayal stuff that it very hardly shows up. And it only shows up when another person has a very significant betrayal wound. And it like calls to a really deep, deep, dark part of myself mm. that I typically doesn't show up. And usually I'm really grateful for that because I want to be able to eradicate that out of, out of my, my perceptions and out of my experiences. But you know, maybe over time I'll find that I actually do have a rejection wound, but I was unable to see it because I was, I was living so deeply in the abandonment. Mm. Were we, I forgot because we went rejection, mm -hmm. abandonment. I think I skipped to you betrayal. Skipped humiliation. Well, I think, yeah. Because uh, it goes rejection, abandonment, humiliation, betrayal, and injustice. Yeah. But I it's okay. There's no, there's no real order. <laughs> there's no hierarchy. No. Um, so with, um, like with all of these things is, I get, can't remember where I heard this, but it's like, if you're afraid of being rejected, almost like reject someone. Mm. Is that valid? Not that statement alone, because that's like going to be perceived in a very wrong yes. way. Yes. So the truth of it is, is like, and this is where it gets like really sticky. Mm -hmm. If you were deeply breaking it down to where you understood the entire world and all of humanity and how wounds show up and know that nothing is personal. And if you've read books like nonviolent communication and you've taken yeah. ownership for who you are and how you show up and nothing else, nobody lives like that though. So at the end <laughs> of the day, nobody can actually reject you if you're living by those laws. Like, because the idea that somebody could reject you would mean that like, you know, you, you want something from them and they're like, no, I can't give that to you. That doesn't mean that they're rejecting you. That could possibly mean that they have boundaries or that they're just not interested, which isn't a form of rejection necessarily. It's like, we're, we're all allowed to just be with who we want to be with and experience yeah. what we want, but we have attachments and we're not going to, we're not getting rid of attachments anytime soon. Mm -hmm. And so the idea that the book talks about is not so much that you need to reject someone by being like, ew, no, it's more of just like, what you'll find is that if you have rejection wounds and you hate the idea of rejecting either, either you're constantly rejecting people, but you don't believe you are right. You don't know you are cause you're really rejecting yourself or 
you don't want to reject other people because you know how bad that feels if you're aware of your wound. And that's where it starts to shift over. It's in the beginning when it's really unconscious is you're just projecting it on people and you're kind of making people feel the way that you ultimately unconsciously feel. Once you begin to be aware of how you actually feel, then you start to project it in a different way, which is I don't want you to feel that way. And so what you'll do is you'll people please and you'll allow everybody else to walk all over you yep. and you because you don't want people to feel rejected. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you won't set good boundaries based on that. Hello, hello, everyone. I know you're enjoying this podcast incredibly an incredible amount is how much you're enjoying this podcast. But Adrian and I have a retreat coming up together September 24th through 27th. At the time of this recording, we have three spots available. So if you hear this and you want to join, if you love what Adrian's talking about, if you vibe with me, if you want to come hang out in person for connection, freedom, and healing, then I suggest you ASAP go to feeling-free.com slash events. And this is where you can apply to our retreat. So it's happening September 24th to the 27th. And let me briefly tell you about kind of what's happening with this retreat. Um, it's incredible. Oh, man, I'm so excited. But you're going to touch down in the beautiful city of Portland where we will meet downtown for a welcome happy hour. And together, we will embark on a scenic train ride over the Columbia River Gorge, dropping us off just blocks away from our mountain oasis. And if you go to the website, feeling-free.com slash events, or go to, this, go to the description, go to the show notes, and you can click to get there. Um, these photos of this place are amazing. But we take a train, so I view this as like Hogwarts, you know, the Hogwarts Express, that we are transitioning into this magical space. Um, and so it's pretty awesome. And our restful and expansive activities will include spa time, cold and hot plunges, cold and hot therapy, nature, and of course, conscious workshops with other amazing people. So the last retreat we had sold out. This only has three spots left. So if you feel called to it for some deep soul work and healing, just a complete immersive experience, it's all inclusive, your food, your food, your accommodations, this mountain oasis is waiting for you. And I'd love to meet you in person, hang out, talk all the deep talks, and heal as humans. So if you're into that type of thing, then we'd love to see you. You can also watch the video from our last retreat in March. Um, So our theme for this one is connection, healing, and freedom. Connect to the most authentic parts of yourself, nature, and each other. You will reconnect to the hidden parts of yourself that fear has silenced. We will go to the vulnerable places where real progress exists. Learn self-healing and reprogramming techniques that will last you a lifetime and extend to your future generations. Step into a peaceful environment to recover the lost parts of yourself. Reintroduce joy, ease, and serenity into your journey. Find freedom from the unconscious patterns that are holding you hostage. Uncover your raw and deepest potential Step into the most powerful version of yourself. Damn. <laughs> that makes me want to go. I This is one of my favorite things about what I do is because these retreats are the ideal vacation for me because it's realization, it's healing, it's growing, it's connecting with other amazing people that have a purpose um, or just for deep soul work and evolving and healing together as a unit and collectively and individually I could keep going off and on and I could just keep going on about this because I love it so much. But go to the website, feeling-free.com slash events slash events and you can apply for it. We still have three spots left. 
And if you're listening to this later and it's all the spots are filled, you can join the waitlist for our next event um, because we have two or three events a year and we'd absolutely love to see you. So if it's sold out, sign up for the waitlist and we will keep you informed when the next one becomes available. And Adrian and I would love to see you. All right, beautiful human, keep enjoying this amazing conversation. So then it's like, how do you learn then that you actually can't reject people? You just, sometimes timing isn't there. And sometimes mm. the timing and, pre- and preference isn't there. And so what it would mean is that in a moment where you recognize that you need to follow your boundaries and that, you know, the timing isn't right, you would say to someone, no or no, not right now. And that would feel like rejection to you because you perceive the world through the eyes of rejection. And mm-hmm. but by doing that, what you're doing is saying, I'm not rejecting you and you're not rejecting me. It just is what it is. Yes. And then that can be a very healing process. Yeah. I love that. And you said like attached. So rejection, that's for sure. Me like not wanting someone to get um, rejected and like people pleasing and all those things, but attachments. So you said we're never getting rid of those. I mean, you can get rid of certain attachments, but mm-hmm. there's always going to be another one. That's just mm-hmm. the way the ego works. It has to attach itself here. It's part of the human experience. Right. And so I would love to clarify this before we move to, to the next one of like, cause we kind of speaking for myself at least of like almost trying to live detached. Like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to try not to care. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try not to care, mm-hmm. but then you care. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you do. And <laughs> there's a, there's a lot of great readings. Like Eckhart Tolle mm-hmm. talks a lot about, how the ego moves and how it, you know, it's like, say that I, you know, I like my cars and my clothes and like my house, but then all of a sudden I realize, wow, this shit doesn't bring me any happiness. And I really just want to be around other people. And like, I want to be spiritual. So I get rid of all my things and I become a nomad. And then it's like, the ego is like, can no longer attach to the physical things. And so it's like, I'm so spiritual. <laughs> I no longer have attachments. Mm-hmm. And now your attachment is to like your identity. Yeah. And then also if you look at um, <laughs> like like Carl Jung's work where he talks about like archetypes and things, then you've got, you know, the 12 archetypes then, and one of them is, is the archetype is like to, to detach or it's, it's part of like the hero's journey is like to detach. But then ultimately the lover is there to remind you to reattach. You know, it's like we, we need to detach from things that are unconscious and, and detach from things where we have this hold on them where it's like really toxic. And the idea would be Mm. if I have attachments to our relationship because I get certain things out of them and those things are not really healthy and we're not consciously talking about what those things are. And so there's just like a lot of like really dirty undercurrents, then that's where you'd want to detach from that and detach from the stories that you have that don't have anything to do. And then once you get detached, you come back to a place where you can reattach in a way that is very clean and very healthy. It's like, I choose you. And I'm attached mm. to you because I love you and I love my experiences with you. I like that a lot. Like, like consciously choosing the attachment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Cause I mean, could you imagine living, I mean, we, living in the world where you're just like detached from everything. I mean, that's yeah. cool. Like you can, if you're into that, like you should probably, you should definitely be a monk. That sounds mm-hmm. really right up your alley and aligned. Um, and for me, it's like, some of the attachments that I have in life are some of the sweetest and like they really make my Mm. life beautiful. It doesn't mean that there's not pain with it, but it's like you, you trying to get rid of pain to where you don't even experience pleasure and you're, you know, where do you want to be? Do you want to, the highs to be high and the lows to be low? 
do you want to be somewhere in the middle and moderate? And the truth is, is like you can choose the varying degree that you want to be on. Like maybe mm. one, you know, one summer you're like, woo, I look back at that summer and the highs <laughs> were fucking high. Yeah. And those lows were really hard. You know, and then there's other t- times where you're just like, I have a lot going on at work and I really would just like to stay in a space of contentment and just like having a daily gratitude practice rather than, you know, flying across the world and having these crazy experiences yeah. and then to come down from that. And I just think they're all part of the human experience. Like, you know, trying to say like which one is right or wrong is relative. I and love you, that. And you get to choose. That's like the coolest fucking part. You get to choose where you want to be in that experience. Oof. That's powerful. Yeah, that, that's super, super cool. So with, to make sure, did I cover betrayal? Do we cover we betrayal? We covered betrayal. We talked, we talked about it quite a bit. I feel like it's a pretty, it's, it's, it's not a, it's a wound you can't miss. Like, you know, <laughs> the person that has a betrayal wound. Um, they're the person that just like, they're just combative as fuck. Like they will pick mm-hmm. an argument with anybody, even if the argument is not something they agree with. Um, there's somebody who will project a lot of like, this person's out to get me. They're very difficult to, to collaborate with and to work with. Um, you know, they, they typically love having other people's secrets and don't want anybody to know their own kind of thing. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's pretty typical humiliation. We didn't cover right. We didn't cover an injustice. We didn't cover. So humiliation, humiliation. What is that like in the deeper? We covered it um, broadly. Like, what does that look like? What does a childhood experience look like that stems that trauma? So just basing off of the reference of the book is typically in the child's development phases of like learning to use the restroom, um, things that have to do with like your sex organs and Mm. um, your, your waste bodily fluids. And so that would look like, you know, being ashamed of if you have, children that are masturbating at really early ages, which I'm pretty sure is all of us. I'm not, <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure. Um, and then also, you know, if like say that your, your child is like, you know, poops and is like playing in it and you're just like, that's disgusting. You know, it's like that energy of that's disgusting. I mean, imagine if somebody said that to you as an adult, if you did something and somebody was like, that's disgusting. You would mm. be like, ah. I mean, so imagine a small child. Cause they like, don't know. They don't fucking know. And it's like, it's from my body. It's like, normal natural they literally don't know like there's there's i mean there's so we have to learn those things mm. over time you know like if you if you've ever like when i change my nephews like they just want to play with their stuff and <laughs> that's a really natural response mm-hmm. right and it, what if your mom's like stop doing that don't do that that's gross that's wrong and it's like touching yourself's wrong so a lot mm. of it has to do with like like almost like sexual sexuality and sexual desires and like bodily fluids and things like that and you, you'll typically have is like children who suffer from like a lot of weight gain, even if they're not necessarily overeating. And Mm. so that's pretty typical. And the mask of that is masochist. So it's, it's people, you know, if you have that friend who is a little overweight and they're constantly making jokes about how overweight they are, they have a humiliation wound and what they're doing is they're humiliating themselves before somebody else can. Mm, I like that. Or I resonate with that. Mm -hmm. That, that just like makes sense. Like that's, and all of these, it just, what, what all of these are doing is like we're doing them to ourselves before someone else can. Oh yeah. We're going to reject ourselves. We're going to abandon ourselves. We're going to betray ourselves. We're going to humiliate, humiliate ourselves before anyone else can, because we don't want It's It's fascinating, but it's true. Mm-hmm. All of us, every single human. Yeah. Yes. And then injustice, um, which takes the masks of rigidity. Um, someone who's really rigid. These are typically people who are, control freaks in the sense of like you know their bodies especially how they show up in the world um 
usually like the person who's in the gym every single day because it's like everything has to be fair and just it's like I have to show up in this way in order for this to happen like Mm -hmm. there is always a consequence and it's like these are the people who always feel like everything has like a consequence and um and my ex has this wound a little bit it's like you know a lot lot of his beliefs around what it means to be successful and like you must break your back and like work really hard and that's really painful like I don't I don't really have like injustice wounds. Um, I know life's not fair. And you know, when I can, when I am on the better side of that, awesome. I practice gratitude and I really recognize like, wow, like this is my privilege. This is my entitlement. And when I'm on the underside of that, which happens sometimes, you know, it happens with me being a woman. Sometimes it happens with me being really tall. A lot of times, (laughs) like trying to buy clothes, I'm in this, I'm in the shoe store and it's like, I can't find any shoes. Like this isn't fucking fair. Mm. Um, but it's also like, you know, that's, that's completely different than like the scenario of what's going on in the world right now where we have racism going on. Like it's very fucking unjust and it's something that is very, very potent medicine for everybody. Um, and so, you know, there's those wounds that, that move through that way too. Um, and so that wound is really interesting because the way that the book talks about it and the way that I have seen it, because again, I read this book and then I took it and I applied it to so much of my life and my clients and understood. And I have taught some workshops regarding it. And what I see with that person is like a lot of perfectionism, like increased, increased amounts of perfectionism and coldness. Like they're trying to hold their composure so much that they come off as cold, even Mm. though they're not. And then one of the book says is one of their fears is that they will, that people will perceive them as cold. And so what they'll do is they'll, instead of being from this genuine authentic place of like warmth of like, like, hi, how are you? It's like, they're trying to keep their composure and they're also trying not to come off as cold. And so they'll be like overly nice, but it doesn't feel authentic. And Mm. I, I feel that a lot from my friends who have, um, injustice wounds. Interesting. So we just covered a bunch of like, Hey, here's your trauma. Enjoy. (laughs) Here's your trauma. (laughs) Here it is. We all have it. So So what is on yourself? Yeah. Right. So what is the, so one more time, what is the book called? Heal Your Wounds and Find Your True Self by Lisa Borbo. And then another book that's great to follow up with that one is It Didn't Start With You by Mark Wallum. It did not start with you? It didn't. It didn't start with you. But it also did not start with you. But the book is I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. So for someone, yeah, just like just starting, because again, like the mastermind, like what's just one small tip of like, I'm unhappy with life. I keep self-sabotaging. Mm-hmm. What's like an awareness practice? Cause like we've talked about awareness is key. Mm-hmm. Awareness is the first step. Mm-hmm. How do we become more aware? Cause we've talked about like in the relationship, like take a break journal for seven days. What if it's just like, I just wanted to figure out me. This is probably not the answer you were looking for, but this is really, really important mm-hmm. when you're in this work and you're doing this work. A lot of times you will get so you will be lost in the sauce, which is why you'll start the work. And then you'll get so lost in the sauce of the work that you will forget <laughs> yeah. to understand just yeah. how much work you've done. So one of the things I do in my mastermind is at the end of every month in the fourth week, we go through and we have like a going back and understanding everything that we learned over the course of the month. And instead of trying to just like, heal more, heal more, heal more, which is very spiritual bypass. Cause the idea of healing is like to have a better quality of life, not yeah. to constantly judge yourself and to win and to prove. And so it's this idea of like, how do I reflect back on everything that I learned in this season? And how do I think to myself, wow, if I had known what I just learned in these last 30 days, when I was younger, my childhood would have been very different. Mm. And now moving forward, knowing what I know now, how will my entire future be very different? And to really validate yourself, 
on your growth and your understanding and what you came to during your awareness. Awareness is one of those things that all you're going to do is pray for awareness to start getting it. And what typically happens is I use this analogy a lot is like before you have awareness, it's like ignorance is bliss. We all have those friends. We're like, you are, you're dumb as hell about life. You don't know what's going on, but they're just like happy. They're just like, yes, I love to party. It's so good. Mm. And it's like, great. We've all been through that. And like, what a fun stage um, of life. But then all of a sudden you start wanting better for yourself. And the only way to get better for yourself is to understand why, (laughs) why, you know, there's why it's not. And as soon as you step into the space of awareness, you're, you're hyper aware of how much your shit stinks. And you're like sitting in it and you're like, you can smell it and you're not really sure how to get rid of it. And you're like pretty sure everybody else can smell it too. And that process over time can be very painful. And so I, I believe that self-awareness is, is very imbalanced without self-acceptance and being able to kind of laugh and make light of how you show up shitty in the world is is a part of my practice all the time. So it's like, if you want awareness, it's, it's anywhere that you want to look like, take a look at (laughs) everything that you do. Take a look at how everything makes you feel, how your partner makes you feel. And when you say you made me feel this way, Mm. write it down. Your partner didn't do shit to you. They did something and you felt that way because that is the lens that you perceive the world through. Doesn't mean that what they did is okay. Like you can have boundaries for that. Right. But truth be told, no matter what, like if you're walking down the road and you're like deeply in peace and not working from wounding and someone just screams in your face, you're going to be like, Whoa, that was intense. And then you just, then you just keep walking. And I've had this happen so many times. People flipping me off in traffic and I'm just like, huh, you know, but if I'm in a bad mood, and that person flips me off my betrayal wound. I'm like, no, fuck you. You know what I mean? Like, I'm so mad. And I'm like, that person did that to me on purpose. And then it's like the next person that cuts me off. Oh, oh, this whole street, this whole street's come together <laughs> to come for me. And yeah. it's like, <laughs> obviously that's not true. But you can then laugh at that. Like, I will sometimes get caught in that cycle and I'll just be like, wow, <laughs> what a wound. What a wound. And um, I think that's really important of what you said of like laugh like making light of it of course like it's serious work but if we're always just so serious and like clenching our fists and like grimacing and like clenching our teeth you know it's just like it's only serious you know like yeah it's only really serious is because we have a poor relationship with time everyone talk about that yeah we just i mean time is the most valuable commodity that we have i mean people think money is important but time yeah you can never get necessarily more of it i mean you just can't you have a specific amount of it and it's the only thing that we're constantly chasing against you can lose money you can make money you can lose friendships you can make friendships but you can't make time not in this plane and being able to understand that how you spend your time doesn't just have to do with the time the end and this is like this is like the practice of like the masculine the, and, and the feminine and the yin and the yang is like if you spend your entire life for the end goal which is to be healed you're going to die you might be healed, but you're going to die. Mm. But if you spend in every single moment thinking to yourself, like, wow, like even though I might not be healed or where I want to be or the outcome that I want, but like, I'm just enjoying the sweet nectar of life along the way, then you become into your feminine practice. And it becomes this thing where it's like, who fucking cares if you're healed on Tuesday? The fact is, is that you're, you feel a lot better than you did on Monday and Tuesday is mm. a new day. And what can you do with that new awareness and that new acceptance and like, you know, reflecting back and enjoying it and being like, wow, like how can I have a gratitude for the micro moments in life? And so Mm. I just think like 
with this kind of practice, it's really important that we do heal as a society. There is no doubt about it, especially things like racism and sexism that just keep people so significantly suppressed. But when it comes to our own personal journeys, like you do have to take breaks and ebbs and flows and you have to enjoy the spaces in between and evolution is absolutely necessary in order for us to grow in a way that we can understand why we were not growing before and how we're growing now to apply that to the new philosophy of our life and then also to pass it on to future generations. I like that. Well, and even if you view like physical, I mean, cause you, you know, are well equipped in that area too, as far as like your wisdom and knowledge of like, if we think about breaking down a muscle, the most important part is the rest. Yeah. Right. It's not like lifting the weight is important, but it's not the most important part. Yeah. It's after. Yeah. And I, for me, I got away from having this practice when it came to fitness that changed my life. It was like, I was in the fitness industry for six years and had a, shared a a really big transformation company with my, my ex-partner, Tommy, um, that he still runs and it's still one of the largest transformation companies in the state of Utah. It's beautiful. But for me, my fitness practice was all about this outcome that was like always, it was never there. Like even when I reached that outcome, it was like I had already set new goals. And so I was always chasing the horizon. And it was really miserable where now my practice is like this. Like sometimes when I have free time, I plan two hours to work out and I don't really have much of a plan other than I want everything to feel really good. Mm. And so I'll be doing kettlebell workouts and in the space in between, instead of sitting there going, I'm about to do another set, about to do another set. Got to breathe right. Got to do all these things. I sometimes dance in the middle and sometimes I end up not actually lifting that much. (laughs) Other times I end up like feeling really good in my lifts and I just allow that dance to kind of move. And it's great to have structure, especially if you've never had structure, you're going to need some kind of structure, mm-hmm. but it's like, if your workout, you go through an entire workout where you're just waiting to get it over with, you're doing the wrong fucking workout. Oof. I mean, that's such a metaphor for life. If you're waiting to, if you're doing this thing, and you're just waiting for it to be over. Yeah. You're probably doing not the ideal thing. That You're not doing the thing. You're mm. missing the point. Will you talk about pleasure? Because you just kind of mentioned that, right, of like dancing. It's funny that I've been doing that, like in this Airbnb gym. Like I've been dancing, like in between sets, which is funny. Um, so like why do we have a, like a wounded relationship with pleasure? Well, pleasure is a very feminine process for men and for women. It's mm. being present enough to actually feel the pleasure that's always been there. Hmm. always like every micro movement every little space here and there um that is what pleasure is you know and you Hmm. think about sex most of the time it's very masculine it's very outcome oriented it's like i'm literally doing this thing to get to this outcome and once i get to this outcome (laughs) outcome it's over you know outcome (laughs) and once the outcome happens it's literally over Mm -hmm. and most of the time you spend thinking back to how it could have been done better. And it's not, it's not the truth that it could have been done better. It just could have been done more presently. Like you just could have been a little more present. And if you were more present there, there's no way it could have been better because it would have been exactly what you needed it to be in that moment. Because in the micro moments you get to say, Hmm, I want this a little different. I want to shift here. Mm. Ooh, like right here. This is the spot that I really want to settle into. Mm. And it's not about like, and the truth is, is like the outcome situation is all about validation. Our society as a very ma- overly masculine society, we just want validation. And the only way to get validation is to get something done. When you strip validation out, why the fuck would you get anything done? 
like it would be like one of those things would be like the longest dance of your life Mm. whereas like you know you think about how dances work and like when the dance is over people are sad as fuck they're so (laughs) sad because it's Mm -hmm. like oh the dance is over and like if there's another dance great or like if you've ever read a great book if you've ever read Mm -hmm. a great movie like who reads a book just to get to the end some people i've been that person right but it's like if you did that like you would literally just open the front page and then you would open the last page you'd be like wow what a story like it started Mm -hmm. off like this and then it ended like this but instead you get so lost in between and the spaces in between. And when you're reading the book too, even when it's a shit storm, you're still reading it. Cause you're like, I know mm-hmm. that wherever this goes, this story is so good. So if you can read a book and feel that way, why can't you feel that way about your own life? Hmm. I like that. I mean, that's so, I mean, yeah, there's so many different metaphors right between like the exercise between sex, between just like all these and like, we live our lives. Yeah. Truly. It's like not present. Never present. I, this has been the most present year I've had of my life and it feels very long. And I would say <laughs> the 27 years before this year mm-hmm. felt very short. Well, as far as if it feels long because you're probably present, exactly. is that what you mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause you're, it seems longer cause you're in the moment, like paying yeah. attention, more conscious of it. I have more memories. Ooh, like a lot more memories and it's like, it's like, I think I told you a couple of days ago when we were on the beach in the sand mm-hmm. about, you know, going through this huge fear that I had about death and, you know, it was right when I was becoming like conscious and I thought, you know, people would say you're God and I didn't really understand that at the time. So I literally, my mind was like, oh my God, what if I am God? Which is obviously very narcissistic, but, um, hmm. it was just a process where I went through and I thought if I died. I truly believe my consciousness will live forever. But what if I die and I find out this whole simulation that I created for myself in order to experience myself and I'm all alone. And that, that idea was like, could I live the rest of my life with the memories that I had? And the truth at that time was no, I didn't have that many memories Mm. where I was so present that I literally could taste and smell and hear and feel all the things that. that were in my surrounding environment. I was, you know, living in the future. I was anxious. I was depressed. I was shameful. I was living in the past. And in these moments this year, I've made so many memories. I feel like in this year alone, I have more really solid, present, juicy memories than I have for the 27 years leading up to this year. Hmm. And that tells me a lot about where I was at in those moments. And I think that's, that's awesome, right? To kind of like bring it home, right? Of like, all this trauma we've just talked about, you know, these, all these things that everyone experiences and you felt, you know, for almost three decades. Um, and now just the past year of your life, you've experienced more pleasure, just more presence, more memories. So that is like in air quotes, the outcome, you know, of like healing that trauma. Yeah, up the the twenty first twenty seven years of my life was me unconsciously reacting from my trauma, mm. and then you know, or really the twenty first twenty six years of my life, the year twenty seven was me recognizing that I was reacting from my trauma, judging the shit out of myself, and not having any acceptance. So then I couldn't be present. You know, the twenty six years of my life was me living in the present. Year twenty seven was me living in the past, and then this year was me living in the present and mm. realizing. Like, it's okay if I show up a little shitty sometimes. I really need to work on that. And I'm doing everything that I can. Ooh, I'm at the beach. Why don't I just sit here and enjoy the sand and how it feels in my feet and the person that's sitting next to me. Mm. Oh, this person's never looked so beautiful to me. Like, how do Mm. I taste this meal? Like, really savor it. 
and there's nothing I can do today that's going to happen tomorrow. So I might as well just like really be here. There's nothing that's that I can do today. that's going to happen tomorrow. Well, it's like, you know, say that there's, say that you have like some, like the, the pandemic, like you're trying to figure out like what you're going to do when it's over. Well, it's not tomorrow. I mean, maybe it is tomorrow now, but at the time when it first started, it's literally not tomorrow. Well, and even now it's the repercussions are still, it's yeah. forever. Yeah. And so you're sitting there and you're thinking like, what am I going to do, you know, with, with my, with my lease when it's over in, in May or what am I going to do in my, it's already past May. That's how much I know about time. What am I going to do when my <laughs> lease is over in August? And it's like, mm-hmm. I don't know, it's not August. So what are you going to do today? You know, it's okay to plan. It's like good to have a plan. But if every single day for a month you're consumed by the thought of what's going to happen in August and it's June, you have an issue with constantly revisiting or visiting the future when the future is not helping you whatsoever make any decisions. And if you became more present, you would be an open channel and you would be able to navigate your experience in a way that you would know what you want more than mm. ever. And you would be able to be like, oh, in this moment, because I was so present, I received a download and an understanding of like what I actually want. And because I was so present, the texture of what I want is so clear. Now I know what to do in August. Hmm. Now I know where I want to be because I was here being. That's cool. And like, so for me, I've had, you know, we did a card reading yesterday together, which was really cool. And what I've been asking for unconsciously or like searching for is like contentment because I have done so many things like um, usually whatever I want to do I can achieve you know that doesn't mean it's like easy but like I can get there and so yeah so it just reminded me of because I've been kind of just like searching always going always achieving and um, like looking for contentment like how to be like in the moment and it just rang true to me that it's okay that you're working on being in the moment, which is being in the moment, mm-hmm. which is so fascinating, right? Of like, it's okay that you aren't in the moment, but just having that thought is in the moment, which is trippy. Yeah, I went through this experience yesterday was mm-hmm. was how often I want to leave my body because the discomfort of the present moment is very there. And just trying to get back into your body always and mm. choosing, like, I want to be here. I don't want to be there or there. I want to be here. And I love that quote, that. actually. I want to be here. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I mean, because you just kept repeating that to yourself yesterday, right? Like when you're going through that experience. But I think that's just, that's a cool mantra every single day, every moment. I want to be here. Mm-hmm. That's dope. I like that. Yeah. With, with my trauma, with the way that I show up in the world you know, with the self-awareness that I have, mm-hmm. with some of the projections that I'm making, with the discomfort, like all of those things, I want to be here. I don't want to wait for the moment where those things don't exist because ultimately at this point, that's not a real place. And, you know, that that illusion is what keeps us with these attachments and keeps us with our head down and driving and not being present. Mm. And if you can just allow that illusion to just burst and dissipate, you're left with, oh my God, I have today will never be another today. Like there will always be a different day and time is changing and shifting and I can't get it back. And so whatever the outcome is, like I just want to enjoy my Thursday, my Friday, my Saturday, whatever. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's rad. And another thing of what you said just like rang true of, we have 
interesting relationships, not only like, like with pleasure we talked about, but also with pain mm-hmm. and we can't accept both. Isn't so it's lose, lose. It's like, we only want pleasure, but we can't accept pleasure. Um, cause we almost feel like guilty for it and we're not taught how to receive and give mm-hmm. pleasure. Mm-hmm. And also we don't want pain because it's, doesn't feel good. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Contrast <laughs> texture. That's like one thing that I adopted when things started getting like when I would have really high days and really low days is I would just be like, mm, texture, mm. you know, it's a good, good old contrast here to remind me just how pleasurable life really can be. And the only way I would know that is because I've seen the depths of the pain that life mm. can be. And if you have attachments to experiencing pain because you feel like you deserve it because of your wounding, that's definitely something you'd want to work on. Um, and if you have attachments to only experiencing pleasure because you don't want to experience pain, what you'll find is you're chasing a high that you can't understand because you lack contrast. And then what do we do there? Run in the opposite direction. Look for pain. I wouldn't say look for pain, <laughs> but there's like, I mean, it's, it's like this, like what I talked about yesterday. If you've ever had food poisoning or if you've ever had, Oh, like a sinus infection, this is, a, this mm-hmm. is the best, this is the best analogy. If you have a sinus infection, the next day when your nose clears up, you are like, mm-hmm. my nose is the best nose. <laughs> I have never felt so clear and been able to smell so much. And you're just so fucking grateful <laughs> for the fact that you can smell yeah. and you can breathe through your nose. And it's like, but when was the last time that you sat there and you were like, oh, my nose. Like, I am so grateful to be able to smell <laughs> and have clarity through my nose. Uh, never. Mm-mm. Right. But if you got a science infection, immediately. Immediately. You would miss that pleasure so much. So it's not that it's not that like you should go searching for pain, but it's that, you know, maybe you should understand it better and have a better relationship when the pain does come instead of leaving your body because you're so uncomfortable, like really sit in it and the mm. medicine that pain is and, and then allow that to be, um, you know, the beautiful dance between pleasure to where when you experience pleasure, you're just taken aback by the awe of it. Amazing. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is essentially, I mean, that's healing. And that's how we go through the ebbs, the flows, the cycles, the spectrum, whatever you want to say, the never-ending journey. The never-ending. Well, Adrian, thank you. So we have a retreat coming up together. By the time this comes out, it will be up and live. Mm -hmm. Potentially sold out, but if not, um, come join us. Yeah, it's going to be beautiful. <laughs> yeah, why are you stoked? So we've done um, one retreat together, which definitely was like incredible. It blew me away. It blew like the, the attendees away. Um, what are you most excited for about this next one? Mm, I'm pretty excited about the location, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'm excited about the texture of that retreat as well from all the growth that you've had since our last retreat and all the yeah. growth that I've had. And just feeling like we're both in a space to really understand freedom in a way that is so palatable for other people to receive. And right now we're in a time where people are not feeling a lot of freedom. They're feeling a little bit, even though there's freedom everywhere that you look, they're feeling a lot of that like suppression and a lot of that pressure and lack. And I just think to be able to bring people into a space where I know what that they're looking for abundance and sometimes in the wrong places. And we're going to be able to provide a lot of that context for them. I love that right so I'm all about like feeling feeling free fear from freedom and what does alpass mean 
The Alphas Project, or Alphas is actually Greek for becoming free. Which, yep, yeah, I love it. Yeah. Which I didn't know before I rebranded, so it just works perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> Glad to have you on the Freedom Bus. Yeah, Freedom Bus. All right, anything else, my friend? That's it. You can follow me on my personal brand account, Adrian Ellison, and also the Alpus Project. Boom. All right. Love you. Thank you. What a beautiful human. I know you enjoyed that wonderful conversation. As usual, please make sure you subscribe on Spotify, on Apple, iTunes, on Apple Podcasts. If you listen on Apple, please make sure you leave a review. I would sincerely, deeply, very appreciate the review on Apple Podcasts. Make sure you take a screenshot and tag me on IG. Make sure you go follow Adrian at Adrian Ellison on Instagram because she has amazing content and as you can hear is a wonderful human with lots of depth and healing information for you for healing those wounds and much more becoming a full authentic human stepping into your freedom and loving yourself all right y'all have an amazing day i love you all righty y'all this week's fear to freedom story is about josh all right i know some of you are definitely going to relate to this So Josh is in a place where he wants to achieve more in his life, but just isn't getting what he wants. He is stuck. He says he wants success. He says he wants more out of his life. He talks a lot about it, but continually stays where he's at. He starts a lot of new jobs, new projects, but doesn't see them through. He says that he wants these things, but he never gets them. He seems really passionate, like he's going to do it, but it just never doesn't end up happening. And this has happened his entire life. He has a hard time following through with his dreams. So why does that happen? Um, Here's what we uncovered with Josh is the reason why he's been doing this is because he gets compassion when he's less successful. He gets compassion when he's financially tight or seemingly unsatisfied with his life. Like people tell him, oh, I'm sorry, or oh, I hope it works out, or oh, like better next time. So people feel bad for him. People feel bad for him. He's getting sympathy and quote unquote love for not being successful, for not going after his dreams or for failing. And this is a common story, and this might be similar for you or somewhat similar, is that like people are telling him that they feel sorry. And so that is perceived as like, oh, I am loved, I'm cared about, I'm validated because I'm not succeeding. This is unconscious, but this is what's happening. This isn't because he's afraid of failure. This is actually a fear of success. I'll tell you why. Because if he becomes successful, will he lose that compassion? Will he lose the sympathy that people are expressing to him? Will they stop saying, oh, I feel sorry for you, or hey, better luck next time, or oh, like, I know you'll get it, you'll get there. And not that that's bad, but this has been happening over and over and over and over for years. And the only person that is hurting is him. And we discovered that he's become reliant on this story because succeeding in whatever term that means to you, but for Josh, this was purpose, passion, job, school, dreams, passion projects. Succeeding feels unnatural and unsafe. It doesn't feel normal to him, even though he says he wants it. And the reason goes deeper. Like he felt pressured to succeed as a child. So failing, quote unquote, 
was his way of rebelling. Like he had so much pressure as a kid to succeed and do all these things like with his friends, with his parents and the neighborhood he grew up with that his way of rebelling and being different and was failing by not being the way his parents wanted him to be or his friends or his church, the culture, the school. So he was failing because he didn't want to do what people said, but really it's only hurting him and becoming aware of this story has majorly helped Josh. Like he's now on his, on the path to succeed for him, for him, emphasize that for him to validate himself, to empower and trust himself, empower, like trust his own power, like his own authentic authentic self for him. So discovering this fear of success, why he wasn't succeeding, why was an unconscious story. So this is truly a fear to freedom story because becoming aware of that and embracing it and knowing the reason why and leaning into it and uncovering it is now empowering him and he's making the changes just in a matter of weeks. So if you relate to this, I would love to work with you. If you feel called to this, if you feel like fear is just holding you back, if you feel paralyzed by fear, unsafe, overwhelmed, paralyzed, just never at peace, anxiety, overthinking, you're not getting what you want, you always feel blocked, something's in the way, that I want to help you. I'd love to work with you. As you can tell, going from fear to freedom, why I tell you these stories is because you can do it too and I believe in you and I'm absolutely obsessed. I love seeing you break through this. So I'd love to work with you. If this is you, go to feeling-free.com slash coaching to work with me. Um, man, as you can tell, I'm passionate about it. So if you feel called to it, if you want to feel free, if you want to be free from your fear and step into your true self, into your true power, then go to feeling-free.com slash coaching and I'll see you soon so we can break free from this fear all right, y'all. Thank you so much for listening to the end. Share this with someone that you love. Because whether it's this entire podcast about healing from those specific wounds, whether it's about an immersive retreat experience, about personal coaching, free podcast, free social media content, this is going to help someone. Like if this helped you, this free fear to freedom story, hell, like this one two-minute clip might have saved you years of struggle and resistance and trouble. If this hit home for you, share it with a loved one that you know that can help them. I would appreciate that. Just share it with them. All right, y'all. I love you so much, and I really do believe in you. Thank you for listening to all the way to the end. Thank you for being a girl junkie like me and being invested in your freedom. I want to acknowledge you for that. You're incredible for listening right now. Please appreciate and acknowledge yourself for that. All right. You're incredible. Have an amazing day, my friend.